Welcome to Celestial Small Talk with Alice and CJ. Celestial Small Talk refers to the big ideas, profound revelations, and deep connections that are created in the briefest of encounters. It is often in these moments that an imperceptible shift in thought can bring about the biggest change, helping us to more fully embody our intuition. We strive to inspire, illuminate, question, provoke, and spark the unique constellation within. Hello and welcome to Celestial Small Talk. How are you feeling today, CJ? I'm feeling pretty good. I'm pretty excited about today's episode because we're talking about something pretty near and dear to my heart and kind of coming at it from maybe a bit of a different lens. So I'm curious to see what's going to come out in our conversation. How are you doing? Um, at this very moment, I feel a lot better because I have my candles lit and my sage burned and great company. Um, or just a little bit earlier, I was struggling with a lot of things that we actually might be talking about later with this, like breaking out of old habits, you know, just like, um, going away from doing the things that's not healthy in the first place and like this process is very uncomfortable um but it's so necessary yeah for sure and with that in mind you talked about lighting the candles and I actually have a courage candle lit I was hemming and hawing but this one really spoke to me because I think that collectively, in order to go through any sort of a process, you need to have the courage to do that. So I'd like to just read the spell that comes with it. It says, let me harness my fears in a positive way to create strength in difficult situations. Give me a warrior's confidence to do what is right, not what is easy. What intentions do you have coming to this conversation, Alice? This is probably, I mean, we've only done two, but this is my favorite episode so far. Like this topic is such a big deal um, to me. And it's like, this is the topic that, you know, we should be talking about. Um, And so I want to today show up authentically as I am and I um, intend to listen and speak with integrity and courage thanks to the courage candle and um, I intend to courageously identify and expose if necessary any flaws in my current conditioning and programming and beliefs and I intend to allow growth to happen however uncomfortable it might be how about you My intentions are to relay my truth based on my lived experience and reflections on those experiences. I intend to encourage others to truly examine their relationships to their thoughts and beliefs. I intend to be vulnerable by sharing the inevitable verbal processing that will occur while we're talking. And I intend to create space to continue this conversation because this is an ongoing journey of da, 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 learning and unlearning, which is our topic for today. Um, what did you bring to the table today? What do you want to start with? Well, I want to start by talking about what it means to unlearn something. And this is something that I have 
struggled with as I am an educator. I have been an educator for 13 years uh, professionally in both public and private school classrooms and have done a lot of tutoring and created my own models for how I believe people learn best. And recently, in the past four or five years or so, I've gotten to this point where I stopped seeing myself as an expert and started seeing myself as more of a guide to my students. And whenever a student asked me for an answer, I always directed them back to themselves and said, you are just as capable of finding this answer. And I started to really wrestle with this idea of being considered sort of an expert in the classroom because my specialty is the French language, which isn't my native language. And it really started to stick with me. Like, how can I be an expert in something that I haven't known my whole life and have only really studied from middle school up through present day? So once I started to see myself as more of a guide, I throughout my educational experience, have always viewed myself as a lifelong learner. And in the past couple of years, with a lot of major shifts that have happened collectively, I've realized how much of what I've learned in a traditional sense has not been fully accurate and has omitted a lot of history and has omitted a lot of perspectives. And as an educator, I strove, particularly if I'm using the example of the French language, to decolonize my curriculum so that my students understood that you didn't have to be white and live in France and be a Catholic or Protestant in order to identify as part of this really vast society, which by definition is a result of colonialism and colonizing a lot of different places around the world, which is why French is spoken on, you know, five different continents. So my mission in my classroom has been to show my students that there are so many different people who look so many different ways and have so many different backgrounds that also identify as French speakers and to just sort of widen their view from this white Eurocentric curriculum that I knew I know I grew up with. And once I started to do that and unlearn so much of what I learned as a student of French, I just the ball kept rolling and I realized how much of what I've taken at sort of face value has been fed to me from a very, very specific lens. And the more I learn, the more it became that I was unlearning a lot of things that I had understood to be true, um, just because it came from a very limited perspective. Yes. So I um, resonated with a lot of the things you were saying um, with this learning process. I grew up in Vietnam um, and Vietnam was actually one of the um, French's colonies. And so we did, you know, we did have, we did have to learn French um, at one point. Uh, but this whole thing about like when I was growing up, I was taught a certain version of the history um, from, you know, from this point of view. And when I moved to the United States, um, for those who are not familiar with the Vietnam War and um, how the country was divided and, you know, the different 
um, versions of the stories kind of were told to different people in the world. So um, when I was here, it was heavily populated by the people who left after the war um, on boats and like, you know, refugees and all of that. And they had a different version of the story. And I had to reconcile that with what I've learned. And, and you know, I, I realized that everyone telling the story, you know, they, they wanted a part of their experience heard. And I think that there are validity in everybody's perspective and everybody's stories and everybody's experience. And that's what makes life so interesting, you know, because nobody actually has all the answers or the quote unquote correct version of what happened because everybody's experiences things so differently. Absolutely. And that goes back to sort of my intentions for today, which was to relay my experience and being super ingrained in the educational system here. I do think that once you get outside of that and you get a chance to talk to people from different backgrounds and understand what their lived experience is, you realize that history is so much more nuanced than we were ever taught to really question. And the biggest lesson that I've tried to impart to my students is how important it is to question what it is you're learning, who is it te- who is teaching it to you, from what perspective is that coming, and how can you as a critical thinker and discerner of information look at all of these different perspectives and then come up with your own understanding of a situation. And this isn't just, we're not just talking about, you know, studying history, but just what we understand to be true, what we've internalized about how we view the world and everything has generally come from a very particular perspective and if we're going to get right into it, it comes from a really heavily patriarchal white supremacist society where all of these other perspectives have not been heard. And unlearning so much of what we believe to, like what we've internalized from a teacher or a parent or your neighbor next door or the podcast you listened to yesterday really has to be taken always with a grain of salt. And that's where this idea of learning and unlearning comes in concurrently. And to be totally clear, when we think about this idea of unlearning something from this patriarchal patriarchal white supremacist society, it doesn't mean that we did anything wrong as people who have received sort of this information and this perspective. Um, But what we get to do, what we have the opportunity to do is to write that by hearing out the stories from different perspectives and allowing ourselves the possibility of understanding that someone else's lived experience is just as valid as anything that we have learned in our lives. And I want to add that it is completely okay to be wrong. Um, We have been sort of conditioned to embrace the right thing so much that we have completely devalue the importance of 
learning through, you know, failure and just embracing, you know, oh, I'm wrong. Okay. What is, you know, what, what's the next step? What is the next right thing to learn? What is, you know, what's appropriate in this situation? Um, how do I improve myself sort of thing? And just being completely, you know, excited about being wrong. For sure. This idea of failure, like you just said, has been demonized, I think, so much in our society where we always feel like we're striving for this next perfect moment or this thing that we should have said in retaliation to someone or, um, you know, we can't sing karaoke because we're terrible at it. And, And you get to make a choice in every single moment to choose an alternative way of thinking about that. And I think that's what's so powerful about this idea of unlearning is that you get to really ask yourself questions about where your beliefs come from. Where does that belief that has become your truth originated? And is it in alignment with what you know to be true by tapping back into your authentic, you know, intuition and, and how you want your life to live, to, to, to be lived? Yes. Um, and it reminds me of this um, concept or this idea of growth mindset. And that's exactly what it is you're saying about like, we need to start questioning things just as a habit, you know, like um, having growth mindset means that we embrace failure and we embrace changes and we embrace mistakes. And there's not, um, you are not born to do something. You are not supposed to be good at something. You just put more effort into it or you, you know, you just have, you just need to develop the skills to be, you know, uh, efficient at something, but, um, you know, like somebody, for example, you were bringing up the example of karaoke singing, you know, and, um, a lot of times after you sing, you'd hear people like telling you, Oh, you're so good at it, you know, or something like that. And that's sort of reinforcing the fixed mindset of, you know, you are good at singing or you are not good at singing, Um, when it's perfectly okay to just enjoy singing. I love that. That's such a great example. And it's such a a good reminder that there's so much more that goes into those everyday joyful experiences than is this, you know, innate talent. You can fail spectacularly at something and have the best time doing it. And I think once people are able to sort of release this perfectionism, this fixed idea of who they are and who they're supposed to be, you get to then be creative. You get to see new perspectives. You can grow. You can connect with people in a more authentic way. You become more curious. And then those internal fixed mindset um, ego stories get to be rewritten when we allow ourselves to shift from a previously held belief. And like you mentioned earlier, Alice, it doesn't mean that you're wrong for having had that belief. It just gives you a sense of what, what can I, what can I learn or unlearn about this in order for it to be more aligned with what I feel as opposed to what I know. That was, that's beautifully said. Um, 
more being more aligned to what I feel or what is true to me versus what I think is right or what societies consider okay. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that because I wanted to kind of weave in this idea of um, the hero font, which is uh, one of the major arcana cards that is generally represented as an expert that one sort of goes to in order to then be able to access spirituality, higher self, divine, whatever you want to call it. And right now in 2021, we are in a Hierophant year. And I resonate personally with the Hierophant a lot because it's ruled by Taurus. And I have both Taurus and my sun and my moon. And this year for me um, has been a huge awakening realizing that I don't have to live up to anyone else's standards and no one else has to give me access to the things that I know I'm innately worthy of. And so this idea of the Hierophant being within and being accessible is so, so powerful for people to realize no one else needs to give you permission. No one else needs to give you that diploma or that credential or that certification that you feel like you need to prove that you are worthy of something, that is just playing into this same sort of capitalist society where we believe that we are only worth what a diploma says or what our, you know, the letters after our names say. And we are so, so much more than that. And we're allowed to deviate from whatever we perceived before to be quote unquote, right. Yes. And, um, I, I love it when you, you talked about this idea of, you know, your worth having to be earned, um, when we should all be reminded that we are worthy as we are in any given moment, you know, um, we, we were born worthy in our lowest moments of our days, our months, our years, we are still very much worthy. Um, and it's sort of a reminder that we need to tell ourselves every single day. Um, and I just had this conversation with my little niece this morning. Um, she's, she's in Vietnam right now and she's going through, you know, she's in um, middle school and she's doing her finals, you know, and in Vietnam, the educational system is very, um, is, is held in high regards. You know, you have to be a good student, you have to get good grades, and everything is about tests and scores and, you know, all of that. And you, and the languages that people use over there about these things is also very harsh. You know, um, they would say you are, you are not worthy, you know, when you're yelled at, you're not worthy when you make a mistake, you are, you know, you need to earn this, you need to earn our love, you need to earn our attention, you need to earn, you know, your place in the world, um, you know, and unless you have something good to say, you shouldn't take up space sort of thing. And I was trying really hard to sort of reprogram that part of my niece's, you know, patterning, um, because she's receiving all those other things from the world. And, 
you know, and I just said, it doesn't matter if you make a mistake. It doesn't matter if you fail this class. It doesn't matter. Even, you know, even when your parents are yelling at you, you are still very much lovable. And I understand that it's not easy being the only person fighting for that, but it is, somebody has to do it, you know? Absolutely. And I, my heart just went out to your niece because middle school are my people, you know, and middle school is such a tough time. And that's part of the reason why I chose to work with middle schoolers, because they are these little aliens who are just trying to figure out how to be human. And the only way they know how to do that normally is by parroting what they've heard someone else say. And in middle school, you kind of get the, this really not unique, but people consider it pretty unique to middle school. You get this opportunity to sort of reinvent yourself multiple times and be like, all right, am I going to be part of the athletic crew? Am I going to be a part of the smart crew? Am I going to be a part of the show choir crew? Whatever it is, you get to kind of try out these different personalities and see what sticks. And a lot of what I realized working with middle schoolers for the last 10 years of my career is that so much of what they're doing is just rote regurgitation of what either they've heard a parent say or someone else close to them or a teacher say. And whenever I give them an opportunity to challenge that, they freeze and they don't really know how to do that because they've never really been taught to challenge or to question. So when I think about your niece and and the fact that she felt comfortable talking to you about these struggles she's having, it's such a testament to the work you've done and the fact that you're trying to break that cycle within not just, you know, your family, but giving an opportunity for a next generation to see it in a different way and to be able to maybe break free a little sooner. Yes, absolutely. And I had to make sure that she remembers that everyone is learning. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. It doesn't matter if your your parents seem to be um seem to know what they're talking about. They're also still learning. So every interactions you have with them always, like you said, take it with a grain of salt. Like maybe they're just, they have the best intentions towards you. And that's something you should keep in mind, but the actions and the words, um, you know, they are still mastering. Definitely. And I think the way you just phrased that was really nice in thinking that everyone is still learning because we all are perpetual learners, even if we're not doing that in a traditional sense of taking a class or reading a book. People who, again, listen to podcasts are expanding their mind by listening to conversations among other people. People who love watching reality shows are learning about interpersonal relationships and, (laughs) you know, all sorts of different things that come out there. And I think when we... I think we've been so conditioned to put ourselves in boxes and to be like, nah, I'm not a math person or I'm bad at drawing. And and when you actually deconstruct an idea like that, you realize that everything is a skill to work on. And at every given moment, 
with our lives, we get the opportunity to choose which skills we want to focus on so that we can hopefully share a little bit more of that light with others and undo some of the detrimental thinking and understanding we've come to internalize about ourselves and others. Yes. And I think um, back on what you were saying before about this capitalist world, you know, not everything you learn or you put your time in learning have to be profitable, you know, and the fact that it's sort of ruined college, you know, for a lot of people because college is such a beautiful idea, you know, higher learning, you get to explore anything you want, you know, and just imagine this like, giant library of you know books that just people who've been passionate enough to dive in and read and you know write different things about you know just anything in the world it's just it's such a beautiful idea um and sort of now most people go to college because right after high school because we'll have to get a job and jobs you know require me to get a college degree you know um And then everybody's on this track of, you know, I have to cram in, you know, I don't know, 18 units per semester because I got to speed up my process, Um, you know, and, and, and that just kind of ruined the, the experience of like the college experience for a lot of people. Now it's sort of like a burden, like a, you know, something they have, it's an obligation that they have to fulfill and not so much this beautiful idea of learning something new and challenging yourselves. And, you know, um, I, I think the best things about college is to be challenged and to be questioned and, you know, and just like how, are you sure about that? This is what I love the most about college, um, lectures is you, you know, you get, you get to question the professors and you, you know, you get questioned by the professor and everything. And, um, and I think that that should be embraced, you know. I agree. And I would be remiss in saying that college is also such a privilege and it's such a privilege that so many people do not have access to because of the systems that have been set in place to make it a very exclusive club for people who are willing to either go into debt for the majority of their lives, or if they've inherited money to be able to do that uh, debt-free, or if they have to prove themselves in a specific way by earning a scholarship, it, 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 it provides or inhibits so many people from being able to access all the wonderful things you just talked about that should be the joy of the college experience is expanding your mind and learning new perspectives and being challenged to learn things sort of in a core curriculum. Even if, again, you don't consider yourself a science person, you could take an anthropology class and be like, this is fucking awesome. And you don't get that opportunity in high school or middle school But when you have the privilege to choose, you then get to expand your mind that way. And it's such a travesty that creating a quantifiable system to judge students' worth 
has um, it's it's been something that I've really had a hard time reconciling over the last 13 years of my career as an educator. And it's one of the reasons why I'm choosing to transition out of the classroom because the amount of pressure it puts onto students to perform at a certain level is so inhibiting. It inhibits their learning so much. And what I think is the most important thing is finding that joy in learning new perspectives and talking to people from different backgrounds. And it it's just such a shame that it has become this unattainable thing for so many people for reasons other than not being able to learn or having any sort of, um, you know, neurodivergency that makes learning challenging is that you literally can't access it because the system has made it virtually impossible to access. Yes, absolutely. Um, And I love that you brought up that, you know, privilege and what has been denied for so many people. And, um, you know, there, in in that there's also things to learn and unlearn, you know, um, because with the media and like the popular culture and what's presented to the world, um, it's completely not reflecting what exactly, you know, our everyday lives and our experiences and, um, and, you know, the experiences of people of color and what they have to, how much harder they have to work, you know, to prove their worth, even though they are innately worthy, you know, um, they have to work so much harder. They have to think three times just, you know, before a step, just to make sure they are not ruining their chances of any kind, you know, um, it's such a heartbreaking reality. It is. It's so limiting to, and again, I, you know, I can only speak from my experience as a white person with privilege, and I can't speak to the experience of people of color, but having um, taught in, in a public school system that fo- that was uh, majority uh, students of color, um, when I realized how many other factors went into play with pre- prohibiting kids from even getting into the classroom, I, as an outsider, and again, as someone who was very unaware of this white supremacist society in which I lived, I was like, well, what's going on with the families? Like, why aren't they doing this? And, and you know, what? why is there all this gang violence? And, and when it comes down to it, it's because this system has been put in place so that people of color are, are put in these disadvantageous situations and again, accessing education becomes virtually impossible because they have to deal with taking care of siblings or they have another job or they have children of their own or they are mixed up in something that is taking their attention away from school. And in an ideal situation, you would be able to grant everyone access to some level of education that works where in my ideal situation, like if I were the minister of education, because I'd be a minister in this case, and I could revolutionize <laughs> the entire education system, everyone would just get a grant to study whatever the fuck they wanted. And they could do that in whatever way they wanted. And the only requirement at the end of a set amount of time or a set amount of funds 
is that you turn around and do something for society that's going to improve it. So you just get like this passion money and you get to do the thing that, you know, you were unable to do your entire life because you have zero limits. I honestly believe, I mean, I know some people would do some stupid shit, but like when it comes (laughs) down to it, I think so many people would be like, yeah, but I always wanted to knit. And I want to just sit here and I want to master knitting for a year or whatever it is. And like, if that's your lot in life, absolutely perfect. You don't need to do anything else and no one's going to make you. That is such a beautiful idea. Um, And I'm kind of laughing about it because it already happened in Vietnam. And I actually consider myself very privileged for a person of color because I grew up in Vietnam and I spent my... I spent my first 21 years there. This is like sort of giving you a glimpse of what the Vietnamese education um, would be like. We go to school and then we have extra classes and extra classes and extra classes. And then we go to competitions and there's just a lot of tests and exams and just like opportunities for you to prove your worth. And so you choose a major early on and I chose English. Um, I got accepted into the school of the gifted, you know, they call it the school for the gifted. Um, and each of the students there would be majoring in something, math, physics, you know, English, French. And the special thing about that school is you get paid to go there. And, uh, and at the end, um, you are also given an opportunity to be funded for college as well. So they would send you to colleges around the world and they would pay for your colleges. And the catch is you come back and you provide to the city. And it's sort of like what you were proposing, you know, this, this society of you're just given the opportunity to learn whatever it is you want and, you know, and then come back and give it back, you know, instead of expecting people to start from nothing and still give themselves back to society, you know, and, and I, the very typical thing that I see here is students in college here, they, they go to full-time school and then they have like two three other jobs on the side just to support that and that shouldn't be a reality you know that's that's just harsh yeah and I want to go to school in Vietnam right now um (laughs) slash send everyone there because what that does is it it removes limits from people and it allows them to show up to their education full because they're not empty from working two or three jobs and balancing this and figuring out how to pay for that, they can focus on the learning. And I feel so frustrated in a system that tries to quantify learning as a linear process. And I think that I know that so many people learn at so many different levels that arbitrarily dividing kids up by grades by their age feels so wrong because so many people progress differently. And when you think about schools in the United States that are considered sort of radical, like the Montessori school, 
to an extent like the Waldorf School, any sort of outdoor education programs, those are considered outliers, even though they will produce people who can think outside of the box in a way that those who go through a traditional linear education aren't able to do. And I also should say that I know that there is a huge percentage of people who become CEOs and CFOs who graduate from independent schools, which is where I spent the last 10 years of my career. Um, And there's a direct link there between white privilege and those who have access to that. So I also recognize that while those outliers exist, those same opportunities don't present themselves when you do anything that's outside of the traditional idea of education and falling into this capitalist society. And I just love to imagine what the world would be like if people were allowed to learn at their own pace in a way that suits them and isn't quantifiable to anyone else. Yeah. Um, what are some of the things you find to be the most difficult in learning and unlearning? I think so much of what we consider a part of our identity comes from things we've internalized. And a lot of that comes from just something that someone else said to us at some point. And it actually makes me think of this quote by Lao Tzu that's, watch your thoughts, they become your words. Watch your words, they become your actions. Watch your actions, they become your habits. Watch your habits, they become your character. Watch your character, it becomes your destiny. And all of that originates with thoughts. And our thoughts become our reality. And so many of us don't ever question the origin of those thoughts and whether they actually align with things that we believe or that we want to be able to achieve in our lives. So the hardest part is the beginning, is going all the way back and questioning, where did this thought come from? And is it any more than a thought or is it truth? And whose truth is it? Is it mine? Is it someone who told this to me? And then when we realize this spiral or this snowball effect that comes from having these thoughts, I think once people are at the point where they're like, well, this is just my life, this is my destiny, the fact that they have to go back so many steps of unlearning becomes so daunting to people that it's easier to just stay in this bubble that they that we live in rather than deconstruct. And that to me is so tough to realize. Yes, I I would agree. There's just too much unpredictability and uncertainty and things that we can't control once you kind of deconstruct and allow yourself to question everything about your own thought process. And, you know, at every turn and it's, it becomes exhausting, you know, um, that I can see how many people, people just choose to stay where they are, move forward. And, you know, especially this, this phrase of you can't teach 
an old dog new tricks, you know, it's sort of like, oh, I'm old, you know, I don't need to learn anything new. Um, but there is, there's no age limit to learning, you know, that you can always do better um, and you can always learn more. And for me, the thing that I, I've been on this unlearning journey for a long time um, and it's just, it doesn't get easier. I always have to go back and you give myself some self-care time because it's just a whole lot to unravel, especially when you have traumas early on that caused and shaped your thought process and your view of the world. And now you have to go back and sort of force yourself to learn this other thing that is completely foreign to your brain and your, your thought process. And that's very uncomfortable. Um, but then also there are times when I have no idea what to replace my old beliefs with because you don't know what it looks like. You don't know what this ideal or this quote unquote right thing is. You just know you've been doing it wrong. You're sort of like, okay, I'm, I'm wrong. I'm in this corner. I saw it. I see my shadow self. It's wrong. What do I replace it with? And that's probably my current struggle. Thanks for sharing that. Um, when you said that, that made me think of that paralysis that can come in that moment. And also the tendency, particularly for white people, to try to have someone else do that emotional labor, labor for them to say, I don't understand this and I feel like a bad person and allowing them to sort of wallow in that guilt rather than do the actual work themselves to do the research, to find out what they have not understood about a certain situation or perspective and to try to approach it from this idea of I'm going to make mistakes and that's going to be okay. It's going to be uncomfortable and I'm not going to like it. But at the end of the day, if I can come to the table with more of a holistic approach and understanding to something, then how much better will my relationships be? How much better will my future be if I can do all of those things? From your astrological viewpoint, you had thought about learning and unlearning as it relates to a person's chart. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about what that means and how that could show up for people who might be really reluctant to do the work. What can they look for in their charts that might help them on this journey? Um, there are three things that you can look in a chart. Just initially, there's a lot of things about learning and unlearning that you can see in a chart. Um, your mercury, for example, is how you process information and how you receive and spread information. So that could be what you can look into to see how you learn because different people learn differently. Some people learn visually, you know, audibly. Looking into your mercury could teach you how you learn best. Um, but this process about your shadow self and learning and unlearning um, traumas and programming, it's mostly your south and north node. Um, so your south node is your comfort zone. It's your immediate instincts. It's what we already know well, what's familiar, what we escape into. 
the patterns that we depend heavily on, um, on what we need to release. Um, you know, it, it, they also said, this is like your past life, like you've mastered this in your past life. So you don't need to um, address it anymore. And that's your self note. So what happens is um, usually in a situation where it's uncomfortable or uh, where you're faced with um, insecurity or just things that are just um, very unsettling, you tend to draw back into these self note traits. Um, and this is where your bad habits come from because you like you, you know, you're not supposed to do that, but it just feels familiar and comfortable and you just, it's okay. I, I, I just want to feel okay at this very, you know, second. Your North Node is what we need to master. Uh, um, it's our potential, what we strive heavily um, and evolving heavily toward um, the unknown, you know, it represents um, your growth, your soul purpose, your karmic path you know, your future. And this is what you want to dive towards. Um, and this is, this is usually happens when you're very comfortable and everything's like, you know, you're like, I'm ready to move forward, you know, and, and you would strive towards um, when you make decisions, you know, in your life. Um, and there is, <clears throat> there's sort of like the need to balance these because, just because your north node is this doesn't mean that you always need to go towards your north node is more important to balance out you know learning and unlearning because when there's a lot of learning happening but you're not you're not unlearning things then there's not room for two things to coexist you know what i mean so you need to be able to go back and forth and know what you're not supposed to do and know what you need to focus on moving forward um and then another thing that you should look also in your chart is your chiron um chiron is an asteroid and it's called um a wounded healer you know it represents your insecurity your vulnerability and it's what you're teaching others that you're still learning to master yourself and i think um in your chart cj particularly i think this kind of plays out really beautifully because you are Libra rising, which you are ruled by Venus and Venus actually conjunct Chiron in your chart in Gemini. Gemini is learning things, knowledge, you know, sharing. And I think it's such a, it's such a beautiful manifestation of this energy that you are now a teacher and you are literally learning and unlearning and you're on this path you know, still trying to figure out all of these things, but you're inspiring so many others on your path. That's so nice of you. Thank you. Well, in keeping with this idea of reverting back to things and growing through an uncomfortable process, I pulled three cards that relate directly back to the quote by Lao Tzu. And the first question that I asked was how can we be more aware of our thoughts so that our words reflect our true selves? And the card that came out for that was the Eight of Swords. Swords is the suit of air, of thought, of logic, intuition. And whenever I see an eight, 
I mentioned this last time, it's an idea of taking stock of what's around us. And the imagery on the modern witch tarot that I used for this is of a person who's standing in a shallow pool of water, blindfolded and tied up, surrounded by eight face down swords. And there's a gray background that sort of has a cityscape, but it's really faint in the background. And so when I think of someone who is literally bound and unable to see, it reminds me of being surrounded by thoughts that might not serve us any longer and are only there to keep us restricted. So I think when an eight comes up, it's always asking the question, does this serve me any longer? And I had a very interesting visual related memory to this eight of swords, which is this idea of ship captains. When they committed some sort of crime, they were often tied out to a buoy in the middle of the water until the tide came in and then they would just drown in the water and this person looks like they were tied to that buoy but that the water receded and so they were able to take stock of what was around them and to allow the time to pass that needed to for them to then be on solid ground and then they could repurpose those swords to cut the ropes and to cut the blindfold so that way things became clearer to them. And that to me is just a way of encouraging people to get through the process, survive it, and when you do that, things will come into focus. The next question that I asked was, what actions can we put in place that our habits are more in alignment? And the card that came out for this was the Major Arcana Hanged One, which shows someone who looks pretty peaceful, hanging upside down on this tree that's diverging, but they're tied with one arm while they're just hanging there with this halo above their heads. And oftentimes the hanged one can be this indecision in between two states, and it can represent stagnation, which I think is what happens when we try to change our actions so that our habits are more in alignment is that we get those ego stories that are telling us, nope, you got to go back to that comfort zone. You have to continue doing things at the status quo because this is uncomfortable and I don't like it. But when we hang out there in this discomfort, all of the blood can rush to our head, which means we realize we have to do something about this situation. Because if we just hang out complacently, like we're not going to grow and we're not going to go anywhere. We're not harming anyone, but we're also not helping anyone. So by default, we are not really fulfilling what we're supposed to. And we end up on the side of the oppressor by... um, by not participating. So this is, I think, the idea of being on autopilot and that in order to move on to the next card, which is death in the major arcana, number 13, 
is that we need to be able to deconstruct the world as we know it and stop hanging out in this indecision and just move forward to allow different parts of ourselves to die so that we can have this alignment. Um, one thing that came from the guidebook to the Modern Witch Tarot deck was that there's no right or wrong way to do this. And this process is so crucial for people to embrace who we are and to free ourselves of others' expectations and demands, which goes right back to the things that we were talking about earlier with capitalism, white supremacy, and the patriarchy. And the last question that I asked was, how will our characters evolve as we embrace our destiny of learning and unlearning? And the high priestess came out, who is generally regarded as someone who's got their shit together. But with the imagery on this card, I really delved into it with the moon in mind because the image on it is of a um, female identifying or it's a female presenting person with their heel on a waning crescent moon. And a waning crescent moon is this process of going inward and tapping into our intuition. It's adjusting our routine to honor opportunities of transformation. And it's listening to what's inside and what needs to be released. This is the last phase of the moon before the new moon comes in. And that is when we often signify or set our new intentions like Alice and I did last week. So it talks about this cyclical nature of always going through this process of learning and unlearning and allowing ourselves to tap back into that intuition so that way we can move forward. And I think that with the high priestess in this question, we understand that sometimes the greatest power comes in knowing that we don't know anything and that when we come up against the truth that more self-knowledge is needed, it's time to continue that process of reflecting in order to grow. Another thing on this card that really resonated with me is that there is a black column and a white column and there is a veil suspended in between both of them with pomegranates on it. And to me, the black and white is this binary of putting people into boxes and to seeing something one way or another, when in actuality, we kind of need to embrace the veil, the pomegranate veil, which can represent uh, powerful forces of the subconscious, maybe painful but rewarding confrontation with the different seeds of the self. And this shows to me that we need to break away from this binary of black and white of these capitalist columns that are holding us in place and just rip across or rip open the veil. So that way the knowledge behind the curtain is uh, revealed to us. And this figure on the card has a laptop on their lap, which just signifies always trying to learn, always then taking the process we just went through and doing it all over again. Well, that is just phenomenal. Thank you. Well, I know that we've got a week in store for us of learning and unlearning. So Alice, what is your astrological forecast this week? This is the forecast for the week of Monday, May 24th through Sunday, May 30th. On Monday, May 24th, our intuition deepens and our mood fluctuates. 
we will feel more optimistic, optimistic toward the beginning of the day, slowly getting more and more impulsive at night, even when knowing the possible consequences. And late, later in the day, sobering feedback and guilt will settle in. We are human, so embrace the discomfort and give ourselves compassion. On Tuesday the 25th, it is the dreamy, creative, and emotionally charged day with opportunities for slowing down and getting introspective about our actions, motivation, and finding growth and transformation. Pleasure and clarity might take work and balancing to find, but overall, it is an excellent day for shadow work. On Wednesday the 26th, this is a very interesting full moon eclipse with incredibly high energy all around. We are extra optimistic and seeing things for how they could be, even when the voices in our heads are telling us to focus on the facts. Communication and information processing might find some emotional and philosophical blockages. This is a period of culmination and a high point or a chapter ending with so many possibilities on the horizon. So look into your chart to see which house Sagittarius is, and you can find the area of your life in which this will be prominent. On the 27th, continuing the heightened energy from Wednesday's full moon, we will be diving into more philosophical processing, meditative exploration and creative problem solving. Watch out for getting too stuck on delusions or things not yet reality checked. It is good to consider all possibilities, but let go of the need to act on them or get emotional over ideas and not facts. On Friday the 28th, finally, a fairly fun and lighthearted, exciting day with opportunities for good fortune and pleasant surprises as a result of patience and, patience and hard work. Spontaneity and creative problem solving are possible. Saturday the 29th, interpersonal communication will improve just a little bit today right before Mercury goes retrograde. We'll probably have already experienced here and there by the state the effect of the Mercury retrograde. There will be a lot of there will be a lot more talking and sharing than there will be actual understanding, if that makes sense. Words and connections will not efficiently align, thus creating tensions and disappointment or unfulfillment. As the day progresses, emotions will intensify. This is the best day for creative writing and brainstorming, but make sure to not get too attached to ideas. Sunday the 30th, it is an energetic day of taking progressive and radical ideas seriously, but having to use conservative means to move forward, sort of like trying to create a new invention from scraps in the garage. The good news is our motivation, drive, will, and desires will be larger than any obstacles we'll face. If you are interested in more daily transit interpretations, guidance on your own astrological chart, getting advice on relationships based on astrology and more, you can find me on Instagram at truth told early. Thanks, Alice. Well, that was a really great conversation. And I'm so happy that we were able to connect on this topic. What are you grateful for at the end of the day? Today, I I'm grateful for the opportunities and support I have had in the past. Um, I am grateful for growth and transformation at the present. And I am 
grateful for joy and peace in the future. What about you? In the past, I am grateful for my access to education and the privilege I have enjoyed to be able to have those opportunities to learn and unlearn. In the present, I am grateful for chances of connecting on these topics so that in the future, I can continually be grateful for these processes that we're going through collectively. When was the last time you examined your thoughts to see if they were true? If they reflected the person you are? The process of unlearning means questioning your own thoughts that have been internalized as truth, which can be an uncomfortable process. It's time to take off cruise control, disable autopilot, and dig deep until you find your inner knowing. That is when true learning begins because everything you need is already within. Normalize making mistakes and failing. This cyclical process allows you to channel your creativity, see new perspectives, become more curious, connect in more authentic ways, heal wounds, and grow. Look to your south node in your chart to find traits, patterns, and beliefs you need to unlearn. Our south node is our comfort zone, our autopilot, what's familiar, and what we tend to escape into, patterns we depend heavily on, what we have an excess of. Look to your north node in your chart to find traits, patterns, and beliefs you need to engage more in to reach your highest self. Our north node is what we need to master, our potential, what we need to strive and evolve heavily toward, our scary unknown future, our soul purpose, and karmic path. Where our nodes are gives us the context of where these patterns are the most prevalent and the aspects of our lives in which we need to instill balance. Chiron is said to be the wounded healer, our deepest insecurities and vulnerability where we are both scared and brave at the same time, where we're able to teach others while we're still learning ourselves. Knowing our Chiron placement and understanding its relationship to other planets and houses in our chart will tell us how to unlock our hidden talents and the vessels through which our genius can manifest. You can reach us at celestialsmalltalk at gmail.com, on Instagram at celestialsmalltalk, and on YouTube under celestialsmalltalk. Please listen, like, review, share, grow, 